ladies. I hope you're having an awesome week. I'm going to share this amazing episode that I had with my friend Brittany Wilson from the Morning Mama podcast. I'm actually vacationing with my girls this week. So um, if you hear something in the background, it's because my girls are in there watching Stranger Things. And I'm just recording this intro for you to let you know what's up. So it's beautiful weather here in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And I'm so blessed to be here with them. You know, my daughter graduated this year, so we just wanted to do something special, and I've had this interview recorded for a little while, and I wanted to bring it to you because we just really talk a lot about childhood trauma, whether it's little T or big T trauma, and just our core wounds and the pain cycles, and a lot of what Brittany and I do is very, very similar, and it's just getting through the journey, right? It's a process. It takes time. But it's super important that we come to a place of awareness to know what it is that's going on to begin with. Like, what's the wound that's coming up? What's the trigger? What is this cycle that we're in that we continue to respond in the same way over and over? It, isn't it time for something different? Aren't you ready to respond differently and change, make changes and grow and develop? I know you are because that's why you're here. And this is part of the process. It's just stepping up taking the ownership of like, hey, this is what's going on with me and reaching out for support. So I hope you enjoy this interview. I loved it. And she's a beautiful, beautiful coach. And um, yeah, I think you're really going to like it. And I look forward to talking to you soon. I'm going to enjoy my time off this week. And just remember, anytime you want to reach out, connect with me, if you think you might be ready to work with me, or you're just curious to learn a bit more what coaching is like, email me anytime at coachmichelleporterfield at gmail.com. Stay blessed, sister. Hey, sister. Are you newly alcohol-free, but you've been hanging on for dear life, hoping you don't fall backward? Or maybe you're still stuck in the cycle of over-drinking even when you told yourself you would stop, waking up each day with thoughts of self-loathing? Is your anxiety through the roof so much that you wake up at 3 a.m. with your heart racing and negative thoughts about yourself? You hide it so well, not many people know. Girl, I get you and I see you. I'm Michelle Porterfield and for so many years I experienced all of this. Here's the deal. Quitting drinking is just the first step. I believe that's why it can be so scary. We know deep down it's more. Once we see what's underneath all the covering up, true freedom is found. And I'm here to help you do just that. So whether you're newly alcohol free or just sober curious, there is freedom on the other side. I can't wait to help you ditch the wine witch or help you find your mindset breakthrough and reignite your purpose after alcohol. Girlfriend, you are in the right place. Welcome to Set Free Sisterhood. Hey, hey, I'm here with my friend, Brittany. Brittany, thanks for coming on my show. I was just on yours recently. I know. It's such an honor to be here. I always love talking to you with your amazing accent, and I'm just so happy you're such an amazing person. Oh, I feel the same way about you. Thank you. So yeah, just first introduce yourself. Um, tell, tell everybody who you are and a little bit about what you do. Yeah. So I'm Brittany. Um, hi to all of you. 
I'm uh, the host of the Morning Mama podcast, and I'm a, actually a former marriage and family therapist, but I kind of, God took me on a side trail and led me to being a coach. And through that, I've been loving uh, through the Morning Mama podcast, getting to help moms specifically, but it can really apply to anyone, um, work from on healing from the past, and then we work on crafting a healthy present, and then stepping into their calling. So I love all three of those topics. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm also deep in the throes of motherhood. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old and life is fast-paced around here, but God is sustaining me through it all. And uh, yeah, it's been so fun. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about how you got into the mental health field, um, you know, and then got to the place where you're doing what you do now. Yeah. So like so many people that end up in the mental health field, my journey began with my own mental health. And I mean, I'll talk a little bit about my childhood later, but generally, like I had a pretty healthy childhood, like my parents were together. Um, there wasn't any big T trauma going on in my home. Um, you know, we went to church my whole life. There was, so there was a lot of good things going for us. But there was these little things that were at play that, you know, again, I'll talk about more. But anyways, it led to uh, a, a deep depression, even starting in like middle school for me. I remember at some point I, having this memory of writing this suicide note. And honestly, it's, it's all kind of fuzzy back then. But um, that's kind of my a lot of my childhood was this, this, this depression. And then as I became a teenager, it turned into a lot of anger. And that anger is a huge part of my story, which carried with me into my adulthood uh, into my marriage and God has been doing amazing work and healing it. And I'm going to share some of uh, how that healing has taken place with you, but that's my background. It's been a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. Um, my whole life, I've just really struggled with this belief that I am not good enough in every way and feeling like I have to prove my worth everywhere that I go. And so as I've walked through all of these things, um, you know, I, I found healing through a lot of different ways through therapy, through, through God and his moments with me. But this is um, what has inspired me to want to help other people. God has been so faithful to heal me and work in my life. And so I really am passionate about helping other people that are stuck in those same places that I was and helping them walk that out. And I have like really specific tools that I love to bring to helping people walk that out. But I yeah, have had a long journey through that myself. And so if any of you are struggling with that, um, yeah, you're not alone. And there is a, a big light waiting at the end of that tunnel. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. And it's so relatable. Um, I love that you really specifically struggled with anger <laughs> and you're talking about it because so many of us and just women in the world, we've been conditioned that that's not okay um, to express anger when um, actually that really needs to fully be expressed. I know in my own journey in a very safe, healthy way so that I can get below and get to the healing. And just the fact that I love that you said big T trauma. I say that pretty often, like little T, big T, like trauma is trauma. And it, it, it shows up in all different forms and it affects us, especially at, if we don't fully walk through it and walk through the healing. So here, this is where you are now. You said you had like a specific model. This is called the restoration theory. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about that and how that relates to you discovering that things that happened in your childhood did show up and then how to kind of work on that. 
Yeah. So really, you know, like I shared, I spent a lot of time in therapy and I never, you know, I, I got some growth and healing, but I just still didn't understand why I was so messed up when I had this healthy childhood. And so that's one of the reasons I love restoration theory is because just like you were saying, Michelle, big T, small T trauma, it's all trauma. And so that's how restoration theory views it. Um, so restoration theory was created by Dr. Harry, Terry Hargrave. He actually was one of my professors, but he trained with all of the uh, big marriage and family therapists you read about in textbooks. So he is so incredible. It's such a blessing to get to be under his leadership and training. And um, yeah, he created this theory and, and kind of the core of the theory is that we all have these childhood wounds. Like Michelle, I know she's been talking with you about lately. And so we all have these childhood wounds that happen and the way restoration theory sees it is that there's almost like two spindles. Every child is born with like these two empty spindles. One represents love and one represents trust. And so the trust spindle answers the question, am I safe? So as a child, our parents are answering this, you know, not just with our words, but our actions. And then the other spindle, the love spindle uh, asks the question, who am I? So we're learning about our identity as we're being raised. And so these two spindles um, are, you know, slowly yarn is being wrapped around it or not as we grow up. And so regardless of how amazing our parents are, and this is what really helped me, it, it doesn't matter. Like they're imperfect, they're human. And so they're not going to be able to perfectly love us or perfectly show us that we're safe. They're going to make mistakes along the way. And so it begins to form these childhood wounds. And the way restoration theory sees it is that we have about three core childhood wounds. So research tells us that we don't feel a hundred different things. We actually feel the same things in a hundred different ways. And so we have these core wounds that repeat in every different setting, every different relationship, and they keep coming up for us throughout our lifetime. And so as an example, my three core wounds are, I feel alone, I feel out of control, and I feel inadequate. And so you know, there's these little things that created those wounds when I was young. Um, like for example, out of control. Um, so my parents, like I said, they were together, they're still together, but they were kind of a more high conflict couple. And so, you know, they would have arguments in front of us. This isn't like there was no fists being thrown. There was no cursing, but there were arguments. And I remember as a child, I would feel out of control in those moments. I wouldn't know what to do. It, it, you know, was deeply affecting how, you know, it was bringing this, getting me to this place of anxiety. And so, um, I would feel out of control and I would cope with that in different ways. We'll talk about that in a minute, but that created this wound in me of out of control. And so now when I'm in different settings, um, with my kids and I don't know how to how to talk to them in this moment. I don't know what to do. That out of control feeling gets triggered and it leads to my old coping behavior, which, which we'll go into in a minute. Wow. So that's all that's really huge. So how do you discover, is that part of the process, discovering what your core wounds are? Yeah, exactly. So he's created this um, core list of feelings. So I know generally, like we think of feelings as like happy, sad, angry, and um, a lot of those are kind of more secondary feelings, like a specific, mm -hmm. specifically anger. We know there's always something like you were referencing something underneath that anger. And so we have to get at that. Um, and so he has this core list of feelings that you can even go access on my podcast if you want to check it out. And so you kind of go through there and there's a lot of different ways to approach it. You can just kind of circle the top three ones that you're like, Oh my gosh, this most resonates with me. It can be tricky though. Cause you might want to circle like every one of them because <laughs> there's, you know, kind of similar ones on there. But as you go through the process of 
of like really reflecting on your childhood. And the cool part about restoration theory too, is if you, if you're not ready to go back to your childhood, maybe there is some big T trauma and you're just not ready to go there, but you need to get kind of some control right now. You actually could also go to a, a scenario that happened yesterday and it's going to be the same wounds that are showing up. And so you can use the scenario yesterday and look at what you were feeling. And it's going to be the same uh, core wounds that you would, if you looked at, you know, 30, 40 years ago um, in, in your childhood. Yeah, I think that's super important. I'm glad that you brought that up because there are um, even people that I've worked with where there's a, a chunk of time that may, they have maybe chosen to tuck away or they're just not ready to go there. And all that's okay because we want it to be a safe process. And at our age, we could at least find something probably in the last year <laughs> where this, so I look at that too, as when our, when there's a trigger and like a, a, some kind of energy in our, in our bodies normally is not because my, my kid asked me what's for dinner for the 50th time. It's more of what is the, what is that making that mean about me? You know, yes. I'm not being seen, you know, I'm not being heard, you know, I feel disrespected typically that's how we can kind of uncover a lot of our responses. So what is your goal when, well, tell me about you because you've obviously discovered this and you've walked through this process for yourself. So tell us a little bit more about like, once you realize, Oh, here they are now, what, what do you do with them? Yeah. So that's kind of the beginning part of the process. Um, but like I said, those, those wounds are going to carry with us through our whole lives. So um, the thing about our brains is that our brains can't distinguish uh, emotional pain from physical pain and it can't distinguish small conflict from large conflict. So when we feel these moments of pain, our, the fight or flight in our brain gets triggered and it leads us to this fight or flight response, which, with, which leads us to our coping behavior. So our coping, uh, like for me, when I talked about my anger or anxiety, that's my coping behavior. Or I know a lot of you are working through drinking. A drinking absolutely is a coping behavior. You're, so once you begin to identify your core wounds, you then try and figure out what is what are those core coping behaviors that began when you were a child, and really when you were a kid, you know you didn't really have a lot of options. You're stuck in that situation, and so you chose what was best. You were trying to protect yourself, but, and so it kind of functioned in that moment, right? Like when I was feeling out of control, I would go and I would hide in my room and that made me feel safe. But now if I'm in a relationship and I feel out of control, I can't just hide from that person. I can't just go in a closet and, or, or walk away, right? That's going to leave a gap in the relationship. And so we reflect, we can look back and, and understand with empathy on ourselves of why these coping behaviors got created. But we also know that they're destructive. These are destructive to all of our relationships relationships, they're destructive to ourself. And so we can begin, once we begin to identify them, we can then begin to change them. So what essentially we're doing is we're creating what restoration theory calls a pain cycle. So a pain cycle is your three core wounds. And then just the same with our coping research tells us that we don't do a hundred different things. We do about the same three things, a hundred different ways. So uh, like I shared with my childhood wounds, my, my coping, uh, my three main coping is anger, control, and then anxiety. And it used to kind of be escape. Um, 
escape can be a, a unique one. It can look like substance abuse. It can look like uh, wanting to die in different scenarios, just kind of wanting to escape your life. Um, and so, and there's a whole list of these, just like there are the childhood wounds. But first we have to discover what it looks like what do we do in these situations? When we get triggered, like you're saying with our child, it's not about that they're asking the wrong question or they're doing something wrong. We're triggered by some wound in us and then we're acting out of that coping behavior and responding from that fight or flight response. And this pain cycle creates this neural pathway in our brain. And so our brains are lazy. They like the same thing. They like repetition. They want what's easy. And so these pathways got created when we were kids and we've been reinforcing them ever since by feeling that pain and then responding in that same way. And so now every time that pain comes up, even when it doesn't uh, make sense, like we're talking about with the kid, right? Like there's, there's nothing the kid is doing wrong, but it's re-engaging that fight or flight response. And we go down that neural pathway and go to that coping and get stuck in that cycle again. Yeah, this is so much, it really uh, suits what I do very well, because that's a lot of it is the, you know, the patterns, the neuro pathways, the, you know, that's the beginning to begin to kind of start, I always see it as a ditch, start filling it up, doing different patterns, creating new routines inside of even like the, the habit loops or pain cycle, whatever you want to call it, because you're right. Our brain just is like, Oh no, this is what I do. I feel this, it's time to drink. I feel this, it's time to eat. I feel this, it's time to hide, fight, whatever. And it then I find, and I'm sure you see this too, that especially with women, then we add on a whole nother layer of guilt. I can't believe I'm feeling this way. I can't believe I, you know, snapped at my son. How stupid, how silly, what's wrong with me? And then that just creates the, you know, the, the, even the self self-loathing and the, and the cycle continues. That's exactly it. Like what you described would be your, your recycling in your pain cycle. So, uh, you know, when we get triggered, it's often not just one cycle, we keep going. And so one, our coping ends up making us feel one of our core feelings again. And like, you know, feeling inadequate, like, oh my gosh, I just drank. Of course, it just means I'm not good enough. And then we go and we, you know, sit in that guilt or that shame. And then, you know, it just keeps cycling and cycling. So I, you described it so perfectly. Um, yeah, that's exactly what happens. And yeah, this is what happened with my anger too. You know, I would, my husband would come home and I, he would walk in the door and, you know, not really hug me. And, you know, my feeling of being alone would come up. And so I would then respond in anger, like, well, why didn't you hug me? You, you, I've been at home with the kids all day. You can't even hug me when you get in the door. Right? And so I could respond so easily in this anger response, which then for him, because our pain cycle is also going to trigger someone else's pain cycle most of the time. So his pain cycle gets triggered. He feels inadequate and um, he ends up going to his coping, which is to withdraw. Well, what am I going to feel if he withdraws, right? I'm already feeling alone. So now I'm going to feel more alone or out of control because I just don't even know how to connect to him now. So now I'm going to cycle again and then, you know, choose a different coping response and it's going to probably create him to cycle again. And so when we, you can see how when you get into a relationship with other people, it just gets really messy and we're all just spiraling in this pain. Yeah. And also what I've found too, is that, you know, it is possible inside of relationships when one person begins to grow and de develop, but it's typically harder in the beginning at first, because 
typically too, if you are, you know, I go back to like, okay, if I'm making more choices based on my desires, setting boundaries and I'm changing also, it makes usually that partner super uncomfortable. So conflict kind of can be more heated to begin with. Don't you agree? Oh my goodness. I fully agree. And especially because they have, they're still stuck in the old patterns of behavior. They're still stuck in their pain cycle. And so when we, you know, try and reroute their, they don't always know what to do. They might already be triggered. Maybe when my husband walks in the door, he's already triggered from his day at work. And so that's, maybe there is a reason he's not hugging me. Maybe it's not just because he forgot. And so then, you know, I try and come in and um, I'll give you an example when we go through the peace cycle of what a a different way of approaching that could look like, but it is going to be so challenging because he, probably he might not respond in that place of peace he might still be in his pain cycle and remember when we're in our pain cycle most of the time it's going to trigger the other person's pain cycle so then I'm going to get re-triggered so I'm going to have to untrigger myself I'll talk about that but it is it's so hard It, it is possible absolutely possible to stay grounded and to grow with just one person in the relationship but it is very hard heavy work so I completely agree with you Yeah. And, um, you know, I just, it's choose your heart. You know, I just, I'm just really big on that considering what I've walked through and what I've seen so many of the women that I've, you know, met through the years walk through. It really was hard to stay in that cycle. It was really hard to be stuck and to be miserable and wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety and live that way. And it was hard to get to where I am now, probably to get to where you are now and I think that's where we just have to be really clear on it's, it's worth it. And, and listen, like, you know, you're not alone. And like Brittany said in the beginning, like there is light on the other side. And as you're walking through it, you know, especially if you're a woman of faith, like God's already got all of this planned out. He's seen you. He's the one that completely loves you unconditionally. And you're, you're not alone and you are valued. And then you also have to make that choice to listen to him, to trust him, allow him to lead too. You are stealing all of my last points, Michelle. I love how we speak the same language. Awesome. <laughs> well, keep on going because I know you have more. <laughs> yeah, that's great. No, it's such a perfect segue into the peace cycle because yes, there's hope. There's a way out. And you, you framed it so beautifully. Um, so yes, after you have your pain cycle and the beauty of your pain cycle is you can like literally map it out. You have three under your pain, three under your coping, and you can put it on the fridge and you can, every time you get triggered, you can go to it. So you have this visual of how, what is going on. And then you're going to, after this, have some steps of how to walk out of that. So after that, you create your peace cycle, which is the exact opposite. It's exactly what you were saying, Michelle, is we figure out what is the truth. So like you said, the truth is absolutely not that I'm alone. Like God says, he will never leave me or forsake me. You know, and in addition to that, you know, my husband does really love me and he is there for me. And, uh, but even in those moments where I, maybe that's not true. Maybe he's not able to be there for me. I have my source of God and, uh, with truth, it's funny you touched on this too. There's three sources that we can go to, to find these truths. The first one is ourselves. Like you just said, it, and this is actually the most important in a lot of ways because God tells us all day who we are and that we're safe and that he's got us. And yet we often choose not to believe it. And so 
and, and, and other people too might speak these truths into us, but until we're able to receive that, we're not gonna, it's not gonna stick. It's not gonna mean anything to us. So we really have to work on allowing ourselves to receive that truth. Um, but yeah, so that's one of the sources of truth is ourselves. And then we have God as another source and then other people can absolutely speak into us as well. And, you know, generally our biological parents um, have the most, or the parents that raised us has the most power to do this, but really anyone that we allow to be an influence in our life can speak into us and help us uh, reinforce these truths because you know, we, we have these truths. So, you know, my truth, um, is that I'm not alone. I'm never alone. Uh, my truth about out of control is that I'm not out of control. I have choices. And then my truth about inadequate is that I am more than enough. And so I, I know these truths, but they can also just feel like just words. If I don't actually do the work to help them sink in and actually help them be more concrete in my life. And so that's part of the work that we do through restoration theory. Kind of the, actually the hardest step of it is actually uh, embracing these truths and allowing them to be real in our lives. And again, not just mere words after we really form those truths and sometimes it just takes practice. Sometimes it just takes going through the motions and you don't feel the truth at first, but you still speak it out. Um, and then after that, we then go to our new actions. So our coping behavior is what we do when we're in our pain. But if we actually believe the truth, like for example, if I actually believe the truth that I'm never alone, instead of getting angry, what would I do instead? I would reach out for connection because really that's what for me, my anger is trying to do is to get that connection. And so that's actually what I'm needing. And so you craft these new actions that are really the opposite of your coping behaviors. And you put those on your, your peace cycle. And again, it's this chart that you can map it out. Um, and then you go through your four steps. So it's these really simple steps, but it literally rewires your brain. And so what they are is first you say what you feel. Uh, so I'd say, I feel alone. And then you say what you would usually do. I would usually get angry. You say the truth. The truth is I'm never alone. And sometimes I hang out there to really reinforce. I know I'm never alone because God will never leave me. You know, and I keep going. And then you say what you're going to do instead. So instead of getting angry, I'm going to reach out for connection. And then there's like kind of an invisible step five where you actually do what you're saying you're going to do. So um, if we went to the scenario with my husband, you know, you imagine when I, he came in, he didn't hug me. I just got angry. He got triggered. It was just a big mess. So what if we go back to that situation and he comes in and maybe I start getting angry because that's, you know, that's what I know to do. That's what my brain usually likes to do. And I start doing that. But then I'm like, wait, wait, I have to, I need to pause. And I start going through my four steps and I say, hey, I know, or I feel alone. And usually I would get angry, but the truth is actually that I'm never alone and do know that you love me. And so instead of getting angry, I'm going to reach out for connection. Hey, can I have a hug from you? Right? So there's that fifth step. I'm actually doing it. And uh, again, they might not respond well, it's possible, but it's much more likely that they are going to respond from a place of peace if you are regulating yourself and responding from a place of peace. And how much, how, about, how different does that feel? Like, why don't you give me a hug versus, hey, can I have a hug, right? There's going to be such a different response there. And so as we practice these four steps and we have to do it out loud, it literally is going to rewire our brain and help us form new neural pathways that will help us get to these new behaviors that we all are wanting. Yes. I love it. Beautiful. And, you know, I like the piece where, you know, I'm a firm believer on, you know, we're not just going to say words and say affirmations unless we have really sat with, is that really true for me? And sometimes it has to be, um, I'll call it like a bridge, 
bridge belief because sometimes we can't go from I feel alone to I'm not alone. So we can go from, you know what, I'm learning that I have connection and others who care for me. So therefore I feel less alone. You know, just something that will guide us. And then what I always ask for my women to do is like, go on a, like a voracious discovery for that truth. So as you're walking out your life, look for things that will solidify, Hey, I'm not alone. Because if you've been believing that you are, then your brain has been showing you all the reasons that you are. You know, look, he didn't give me a hug. That girl didn't text me back. I can't believe my mom hadn't called me in a week. Did you see those girls talking over there? They didn't even ask me if I wanted to join in. Like it will make up things to just solidify. Yeah, look at you, you're alone. Versus when you're beginning to look for it, you'll notice things where, you know, a, a stranger in the store was super friendly or your husband did, you know, be more intentional when he came home from work or whatever. And just take the time to walk that out. That's so great. I love that idea of the bridge belief. That's so cool to form this almost separate belief that you're not quite to the end, but that's so helpful because I know a lot of people struggle with getting to that place. Um, and then, yeah, I absolutely agree that we have to really dig in and do, I love that kind of hunting down where is this truth? It, does it exist? Because you're absolutely right. We're going to always reinforce that belief that we have. And so if we can uh, start taking note of what people really say about us or what's really happening around us that reinforces this new truth, it's going to be so helpful. Such yeah. great ideas. Yeah. And taking action. Obviously, that is that that final step is just continuing to take action. And I'm sure you're on the same page. Like, Action means any movement. Like it doesn't have to be like, look what I did this week. And oh my gosh, I, you know, have really, I'm successful with this new thought or I'm, you know, I didn't get triggered all week. No, it's like, how did you, how did today go? <laughs> you know, yes. are you making progress? Are you being intentional? Because really what happens is we're, we're talking about living and showing up in a way where we're in full reaction mode. We're not even paying attention where you're responding to wounds, responding to triggers, to just really that first step of awareness and being intentional about, huh, and I, the mind's called like a trigger map where you're like, hmm, I just feel, I feel something in my body, tightness in my chest, even just, you know, going in and finding out like, where is it? What did I make that mean? Which all this intertwines with, um, I mean, our work can really layer on top of each other. I love it. It's <laughs> so cool. Yeah, I love all of that. I absolutely agree 100%. That's, that's such great work that you're getting to do with these women. Yeah, it's so cool. And you as well. And because we all have our different journeys and different personalities. And um, so is there anything else that you kind of want to share about this particular thing or some encouragement you'd like to give if, if somebody's listening and they're just finding themselves and they're stuck? And they haven't really spent a lot of time even thinking about their childhood or, or thinking about maybe some stuff that's been going on for a long time. Yeah. Um, something that Terry Hargrave, the, the creator of Restoration Theory, says is the way out is the way out. And so I love that because it doesn't matter how big, like I said, your pain is. It doesn't matter how little it is. This is the way out of it. And even what Michelle is teaching you is it's this way out, um, rewiring your brain, creating these new 
thought patterns and these new behaviors. And so uh, the, it takes time. So like Michelle's saying, don't be discouraged if the week wasn't perfect. It's not going to be perfect. It's not probably ever going to be perfect. And change really takes time. I, I know, I don't know if you have read Atomic Habits, but I've been reading that book by James Clear and he talks about, um, I'm going to butcher some of the terminology here, but essentially like uh, change is like, it takes a long time and um, to, to show up because, you know, for an ice cube to melt the degrees of the room, and I don't remember the actual degrees, but it might go from, um, you know, say 20, 38 degrees, and then it goes to 39 and then to 40. And that whole time the ice cube is not melting. And then it goes to 41 and then 42. And so the room is changing. Things are happening. There is change happening, but the ice cube hasn't melted yet. And until it gets to 42 degrees or whatever the actual degrees is, that's when it begins to melt. But it takes all of that work and that practice leading up to that moment for it to melt. And so don't be discouraged if you're not seeing the results of your changes yet. Uh, they're coming. You just have to keep fighting for that and keep working at it and being consistent. And remember, like these uh, pathways have been created your whole lifetime. They've been, been reinforced for your entire life. So it's going to take more than a day or a month or even a year to really, really get these new pathways fully functioning. And so give yourself some patience and some grace in this process. Grace is absolutely essential. Otherwise, you're just going to want to give up because you're not going to be perfect. That's that's not possible. And so just keep going. Even in the mess ups, the, the, really what I've learned is that I have to turn for me, it's to turn back to God in those mess ups. I used to run the other direction. I would feel the shame and uh, I would just feel horrible about myself. And so I would run away from God and, and go more into my bad decisions and more into my old behaviors of coping. And it, and then I obviously would feel worse. And so that's what I would do. And so I finally learned to actually in those moments where I least want to, because I have this heaviness and this shame on me, I actually have learned to go back to God and face him and process what happened and learn about it and allow him to forgive me and allow myself to be for, to forgive myself because that is the only thing that's going to allow me to move forward without that grace I'm going to be stuck in those old patterns and so don't feel like you have to add that shame on top of those behaviors kind of like what you were saying earlier Michelle yeah and it, it truly is a process step by step and you know for me it's just so much of this, not only does it start with the awareness and moving from reaction, it's actually opening your mouth and getting it out, whether it's you and God in prayer time, whether it's you reaching out to me or Brittany, a therapist, a coach, someone safe, and to be able to, because the enemy loves to keep it in the darkness. And I'm telling you, from the moment I just started speaking, like, God, you know, I don't think alcohol, I don't think I have a really good relationship with alcohol or like this just is just something doesn't seem right. And then, you know, not that it's going to be the first time you say it, that you're going to get all this clarity or whatever, but man, it just feels, especially when you are speaking it to someone who's been there, um, who has walked through it that you can trust. That would be some of my biggest advice for first steps. Yes, I completely agree. Anytime we can bring it into the light is a game changer because yeah, the darkness festers. Like think of darkness, it grows mold, it grows all of these things. And so we, if we leave it in that dark alone, it's just going to keep growing. And, but when we bring it to the light, that's when the freedom comes. And um, yeah, we absolutely have to be in that relationship with people and, and with God and bringing it out and voicing it all and not being afraid to look at it. And there's so much healing that happens just in that simple step. Yeah. 
Awesome. So I know they're going to want to find you. They're going to want to know more about your, um, what you have to offer and maybe even listen to the episodes that kind of help them start to uncover some stuff. So where, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, it's great. Um, so the, the biggest way to find me is on my podcast. It's called morning mama. Um, if you want to dive more into restoration theory and you can even get the list of the pain and the coping words, uh, episodes 15 through 20, really dive deep into it. There's some more scattered throughout, but those are kind of the biggest dive into it. Um, I offer coaching. If you really want to map out your pain and your peace cycle, uh, I also have a academy that is about to wrap up. So we'll run another one probably in the summer and we really dive into your pain and your peace cycle and how to walk that out in every one of your relationships. Um, and so those are kind of the best places to find me. There's also restoration therapists out there, which I used to be one of them, but I've kind of moved away from being a therapist. So if you want to really do that deep childhood trauma work, that's probably not good for coaching, but there are restoration therapists out there. So I'll make sure I can, uh, send you the link or it's on my podcast to let you know where you can find one of those therapists. Um, see if there's one in your state, you know, even if they're not near you, you can always do it, you know, zoom therapy, but they're really such an incredible, um, modality of therapy that really helps you go deep and actually do practical movement and steps on, on growth, um, in therapy, which can sometimes be slower, but the, I love restoration theory model because it helps it just be a little bit more practical and tangible and tactile. Mm. Yeah. I love that. And I'll just kind of add to that. I think it's important to, to spend time connecting with people and having conversations and then really just, you know, deciding on kind of what feels true for you, like the person that you want to work with. I've had many people work with therapy and coaching or one or the other. I know for me, like I would have loved to know something like this style of therapy because I actually struggled with finding someone that wasn't just more talk therapy. I wanted to go deeper. I wanted to be asked a lot of questions and I wanted to deal with things inside of my body. And so that's, I feel like that's the most important thing. Whatever you do, just, just take your time and actually just reach out and have a conversation, a consultation. Most people will have a conversation with you and just see what it is that, um, that God wants you to do and who you need to connect with. So thank you for being here. I loved it. Agreed. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. It's such an honor and I just love the work you're doing. I'm so excited for all the life change that's happening over here. Thanks for letting me be part of it. Yes. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Okay, girlfriend, before you go, if you found value in this podcast and it helped you, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. This is what helps the show grow and helps more women to get their hands on the support so they can choose to reduce their drinking or quit altogether like I did. Go join the community and say hi over on Facebook by searching Set Free Sisterhood. I will also put the link in the show notes. You can also connect with me for a one-on-one discovery call at coachmichelleporterfield at gmail.com. And I want to ask, how do you want to feel in the next six months? Who are you becoming? Are you ready to grow? I see you and I've got you. Until next time, stay blessed.